Thanks very much, April. Uh, if you can have your Bibles open to chapter 10 of Romans, that would be great. And we will actually go through, flip through many pages of the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you, this would be a great chance to get one right now uh, there at the back. But why don't I pray for us as we come to this text? Lord, we give you great thanks for the gospel that we have received, and we pray that the gospel message will transform us, It will, that the message will be clear, um, that as it comes to us, it will change us and help us to be people who bring good news to the ends of the, ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing the series on tough questions, or as uh, Dale reminded us, Good questions, um, and we're going to go through uh, the topic of what happens to those who haven't heard the gospel. And next week will be the final uh, part of our series um, on what, uh, why does God allow uh, suffering, good people to suffer. Anyway, what about those who haven't heard the gospel? Well, this is one of these questions. If you have ever tried to share the gospel with others, people do ask you uh, this question, don't they? What about those people who haven't heard the gospel? We may be thinking about many people in China who have not had the access before the missionaries came. Uh, Millions of people who died without hearing of the gospel. We may be people like that right now in China, not just in China, but around the the world. I think of, I'm Korean, I think of North Koreans who do not have the access to the gospel. The people in the Middle East who who are forbidden from hearing the gospel message. What happens to those people? It's a great question, and it's a tough question. And at the heart of the question, I think, is a question about fairness. It just seems unfair. It seems unfair that people around the world who are good, people who believe in different things, but good people, um, God says that uh, they will perish because Jesus is the only way. There's another uh, question of fairness uh, how is it, it seems unfair that people are punished because they didn't win the lottery in life. They were born um, in, a, in, in the wrong place at the wrong time. It seems arbitrary. So let me try to address those two questions, and then I'll try to also flip back the answer about fairness. But how could it be that there is salvation only in Christianity, only in Jesus Christ? What about all those people who lived before, who haven't heard of Jesus? What about the billions of people who are good even right now? Could Jesus be really the only way? Well, I'm going to just start out by, by saying, yes, Jesus is the only way. This is what Jesus says about himself. This is what the scripture teaches I mean, think about what Jesus would say. Buddha would never claim to be God. Any Muslim claiming to to be God would be stoned right away. But this is what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This isn't something, you know, when I say, oh, I'm good at tennis, I'm bragging a little bit, but this isn't bragging. This is God, Jesus isn't bragging about himself. He's making a claim about his own identity. He is God. He's the way, truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Whoever has seen him has seen the Father. He's claiming to be the only way to God. And this is why Paul writes to his Gentile converts about their pre-Christian days in Ephesians like this. He says, remember that, uh, that at the time you were separated from Christ, 
aliens to the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. It wasn't that they had no God. It had, they had false God. But Jesus, uh, Paul says, they had no hope and no God because they had false God. Apart from Christ, there is no hope and no God. But then how could it be that Jesus is the only way? What's the logic of salvation here? And I, th- I think the logic is clear. Paul explains in Romans, in the opening chapters of Romans, in Romans 1 through 5, the logic of salvation there, he talks about the, the, how the power, God's power and divinity is made clear throughout the, creation, throughout the created world, whether they had access to the gospel or not. He writes in Romans 1, 20, For since the creation of the world's creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. It says, if they wanted to, there is enough out there in the creation because the creation sings forth God's praise. There is enough for people to know that there is a creator God, that there is a powerful God that they need to submit to. But not only that, not only that, God has given his laws to his people, but not just to his people, um, to everyone, to the Jews, through the scripture, through the giving of the laws, but to the rest, God showed the requirements of the law by writing the law in people's minds, in their hearts. Their conscience, I think it'll come up, um, their conscience bears witness. Uh, yeah. Sorry. God has written his moral laws so that all are responsible for their actions. Enough of God has been revealed. So no man could say, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So when Christ comes back, he's not going to judge with an arbitrary or unfair standards. When God judges, when Jesus comes back to judge the world, he will judge with our own standards that are written in our hearts already. So Paul writes in Romans 2.12, all who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. If you had the law, you will be judged by that law. If you didn't have it, God will judge you through the law that has been written in, in your hearts. This will be a fair and just judgment because we all know what's right and wrong. I mean, this is true, isn't it? Everybody knows that we shouldn't lie. Everybody knows that the adultery is bad. Everybody knows that pride and selfishness and anger and lust, all those things are bad. But the problem is, even though God has written this into our hearts, we are uh, in constant rebellion against God. We find ourselves naturally inclined to do the bad things that we know that we're not supposed to do. So no one, whether they had access to the law or not, whether they are like the Jews who received the, the law or not, could claim to be good. No one could say, I deserve to be with God. All of us reject God and moral laws that's written externally or internally. So Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, the Jews and Gentiles are alike, uh, uh, alike are all under sin. There's no one 
righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. You see, the, the logic of the New Testament is very clear. All people have sinned, and none of us can save ourselves. No one can earn their salvation. When Jesus comes to judge, he will judge righteously and justly, but no one will be able to say, I deserve this salvation. So Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come. This is why there is only salvation in Jesus Christ. And you might surely be thinking in your mind, surely there, might, there must have been another way. There, God, God in, his, it, 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 in his power and wisdom, surely he could have found another way to save. But you know, that question that you are asking, there's one person who asked that question more diligently than any, or any one of us, and that was Jesus. Jesus on the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about the question that he asked. Think about the intense emotion that he was feeling. He says he was overwhelmed with sorrow, in his words, to the point of death. And when he throws himself on the ground, he asks, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Don't you think if there was another way for people to be saved, God could have, would have done that. But there is silence. So Jesus says, but not my will be done, but yours. So Jesus goes to the cross, the only way that people will be saved. So the only good person in the history of the world, only righteous person, the only person who earned his way to salvation, died on the cross. In that great place of great exchange, what, what he deserved, his reward he gave to us, to those who would accept his gift. And what we deserve, the punishment, God's wrath, he took upon himself. And that's the only way we could be with God. Salvation can't be something that can be achieved, something that can be earned. It can only be given as a gift of God. And this is why Luke writes, there's no salvation. There's no, uh, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Listen to the scope. There's no other name anywhere in this world under heaven. Among all people, no matter which religion they believed in or what time period that they lived in, there's no one else, no other name by which we must be saved. Jesus says he is the only way. And this is why Paul says in our, in our reading today, there's no difference between Jew and the Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blessed all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no difference between Jew and the Gentile. Salvation is only found through Jesus alone. So as Christians, we must reject uh, what's called pluralism, pluralism, pluralists who say that all religions are valid. We must reject um, the universalists who say that all will end up in heaven. We can't ag- agree with the inclusivists who say that faith in Christ is not necessary. Jesus said that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So let's go back then to the question of fairness again. 
objection is, if Jesus is the only way, how can God punish those who have not heard of Jesus? Doesn't it seem wrong? Doesn't that seem unjust? But remember why we need Christ. We need Christ because all have fallen. We're all sinners. We all deserve God's punishment because we have rebelled against him again and again. So even those who haven't heard the gospel, if there is punishment for for them, if they are sent away, well, they are receiving what is fair. And I say this with great sadness in my heart. It's not something that I like to say, but we all des- when, when God punishes us, we are receiving what is deserved. And here's one, how one philosopher put it. No one will be punished for not ever hearing of Jesus. Each one will be judged and condemned for violating our own moral standards. You see, it's not that God is punishing us for not hearing Jesus. We are judged and condemned for violating our own moral standards that we know is right and wrong. And that's why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. Jesus, only Jesus can save us from the mess that we are in. But you might at this point agree with me, although you might not want to, but agree with me because that is the logic of the Bible. That Jesus is the only way that all of us deserve just God's just punishment. But it still seems slightly maybe arbitrary or just unfair because salvation seems to depend on such arbitrary things as, as where we're born and at what point in history we are born. Because I was born into a Christian family. I had much higher chance of becoming a Christian, whereas my aunt, I have an aunt in North Korea, uh, will just, uh, she has no chance of becoming a Christian because gospel is not known there, is not preached there. It seems unfair that such a big thing like our eternal salvation, eternal destiny, would be determined by where we are born and when we are born. So let me tackle this um, in three ways. As much as best as I could. First, logically, but also biblically, but also appealing to God's character. So logically, when we ask, how can an all-loving and powerful God could create a world in which people don't hear the gospel at all, would uh, go um, in, into condemnation, into hell? What we're asking is, we are assuming that God, um, because God is loving and powerful, God could do anything that he wanted to do. God could have created a world that's different, radically different from our own. Where uh, everyone's free, everyone hears the gospel, and everyone freely chooses to follow Jesus. But you see, even as I say this, I hope you can sort of um, uh, reason in your mind, that doesn't sound logical. That doesn't follow. It's logically impossible to make free people do something, um, make people do something freely. That's like saying God should make um, married bachelors. Death by death, it's the definition thing, isn't it? If God makes people free, they will have freedom to reject God. They will have freedom to roam around the earth as they please. They will have freedom to create cultures um, that prevent people from hearing the gospel. 
God is limited by the creatures that he makes and the choices that they make. And so the first thing that I want to say is, it's not as if God could just do some magic here. We are free people. God has created us freely, uh, as free creatures. And it's not that easy. Plus, plus, and, and it could be that this world is the, one of the best, well, the best possible world. We just don't know. It's logically possible also that God created in this world everyone who does not hear the gospel. Logically possible that all those people, even if they had listened to the gospel, they would reject them anyway, in any circumstance, in any place. Let me say that again. So, it's logically possible. I'm not saying that this is what happened. But it's logically possible that God, um, in his wisdom, placed those people who, re- who would reject Jesus in, at any time uh, in history, in any circumstance, that God would pla- place those people into places where they do not hear the gospel. So, no one could say, if they go up to heaven, no one could say, well, if, you, if, if only somebody came, God could say, well, I, knew, I know. I know, the, I, I know every possible world in which you are in, you would be in. And in, in every single possible world, you would reject me. So, I'm not saying that that's what God did, but I, I am saying that's logically possible. What that means, though, uh, then, is God is bigger than us. God, there's so many things that God uh, could be considering, that God could have considered as he created this world. We just don't know. It could be that this perfectly just and loving God could create, could create, could create this world in which people uh, do not hear the gospel and are condemned because God would know uh, how they would uh, how how they would have responded. And I think it's uh, very presumptuous for us to say, as creatures, God, you should have done better, when we don't even know what factors that uh, what factors are out there uh, for God to consider. Now let's turn to the Bible a little bit. Um, and see what it says about those who earnestly seek God and what happens to those people and how God brings them to salvation. Think about Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile prostitute um, who had very limited knowledge of Yahweh God. No knowledge at all, but there was something in her that made her seek God. And so when, they, when she heard about Yahweh God, she recognized Yahweh as true God. And when the spies came, she helps the Israelites, and she and her family are saved. That's one example of a Gentile becoming part of um, uh, the promised people. Um, Naaman is another Gentile who receives salvation. He hears about Yahweh through a servant girl, and though he had very little knowledge and access, he goes to Israel and is converted. How about the Ninevites that Jonah was sent to? Ninevites could not have heard of Yahweh God. But remember, the solar eclipse that happened, I told you about when we're doing through uh, Jonah uh, series, disasters that were happening, God had prepared them, and they were searching earnestly after God. And so when Jonah is sent, they repent. It's not because of Jonah's brilliant preaching. He preaches one-sentence sermon. He goes around. But the whole city is, is converted because they were earnestly seeking God. And to, to, that, to those people, God sends Jonah. 
In the New Testament, Cornelius was a man like that. He was praying to our God, and seeing his faith, God sent Peter to give him full story of Jesus. And Cornelius becomes the first Gentile convert in the New Testament. Remember what Peter says afterwards. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Because Cornelius was earnestly seeking God, God sent Peter. These are examples of people who earnestly sought God, and God somehow gave them a chance to hear the gospel. And of course, this sort of thing happens um, in, in this world as well, in the Muslim world, where people see visions, people have dreams, testimonies of people being saved. You know, for a long time, we thought nothing was happening in China. But then as we went in later on, we saw all these people having converted in China. And I hope that that is true in North Korea and in Muslim world as well. God is doing his work even in these unreached places through his might and through his power. And of course, this isn't, a surpri- this isn't surprising since God has revealed himself as merciful God. God desires none to perish, but that all should come to, repent, to repentance, Second Peter 3.9. We're told again that he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. He does not take pleasure in punishing the wicked, Ezekiel 18.23. We know for certain that God does not want people to perish because of his son, Jesus Christ, because he sent his son, While we were still sinners, he died for us. We know that this is a just and compassionate God who is bigger than our minds can comprehend, who is dealing with factors that we can't understand. But we know that he is just. We know that he is loving. And we know that he will judge the world in righteousness. And he's earned our trust, hasn't he? He's done enough for us to trust him. He's shown his wisdom on the cross. He's shown his love and power and justice on the cross, hasn't he? But before we go, if we're asking the question of fairness, we must end with this question. If God judges righteously, we all deserve punishment. But by pure mercy and grace of God, we are saved. People here are saved. People who have heard of Jesus are saved. And if there was any great injustice in this world, it was that that only one person who deserved eternal life, that only one person who lived a good life, actually does go and takes God's wrath upon himself. He's killed at the hands of sinners so that the sinners might receive his salvation. It's not based on works, grace. It's not based on keeping the law. It's not being good. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. And grace is deeply not just. It's unfair. Why should it be? How, how could it be that he would die for us? That how, how could it be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus is saved? How unfair grace is and how amazing grace is. But then if we go to our reading, 
Um, after verse 12, he goes on to say, uh, verse 13, chapter 10, verse 13, Romans. He says, How then can they call on the one they haven't believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, the founder of China Inland Mission, was to have said that China, at that time, million a month dying without God. Million a month dying without God. He went through all around England telling people million a month dying without God and sought to bring people into China so that people in China could hear the gospel message. I don't know what the number would be like, but it's millions still a month dying without God. The Underwood family, I'm very grateful that they went to Korea. They brought the gospel to Korea. That's one of the reasons why I'm here. That's one of the reasons why my family have come to Christ. And there are people now risking their lives, now going into places that are unreached, that are persecuted, now, because they, this is the gospel message, that there is only salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And this is the message that we need to be bringing to the ends of the, uh, ends of the earth. They are doing it because this is a message that people need to hear. This is a message that is entrusted to us. And because we know that this is an amazing message of salvation. Let's pray. So let's pray for the unreached. Even now, according to Joshua Project, there are 2.8 unreached, uh, 2.8 million unreached people in this in, around the world. 2.8 million people, billion people. I'm sorry, billion people. 46 percent of the world. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for the missionaries who are working in those places. And if you are young, and if you are thinking about what you want to do, consider what Misha considered. Consider going into, uh, consider being a missionary. This isn't a, a call that I want to, uh, I, want, I, I make easily because I know that uh, this might bring great pain and suffering. But you see, the gospel message that has been entrusted to us is more valuable than our suffering. It's more valuable than our life. And this is the message that people risk their lives in bringing to the ends of the, ends of the earth. And we, as a church, need to be part of that. We need to be praying for the world. We need to be part of God's mission in this world. It is true that there is only salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And that should move us. That should move us to tears. That should move us um, to cry out as we prayed um, in, our, in our opening songs for our hands to be used, for our feet to be guided to the ends of the earth so that people might hear the message of the gospel. Now, I know that this doesn't answer all your questions. Um, so if you have questions right after the church, would you come here and I'll stay after to answer some of your questions. But before that, why don't we pray? Let's pray together.